0: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
1: How can I, Ephraim the least, a sinner so full of offenses, now speak on things that are beyond my ability?
2: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they deliver today. We're going to listen to a sermon by Ephraim the Syrian, also sometimes pronounced Ephraim, Ephraim, Ephraim. This goes way back to the 4th century. Uh, It was preached in what is now modern-day Iraq, or might be Syria, depending on the the region that that we think it was preached in. Troy, uh, you are still down a microphone, it sounds like, Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is still being recorded to you from the Tennessee studio here. Uh, My family and I usually live in Indonesia, for those of you who are new, and we are right now spending the summer in Tennessee and off and on traveling across the fruited plains of the United States of America, visiting with people, sharing what we do, and all those kinds of trips and travels. And so because of that, we are having to use some microphones that we would not normally use. Now, Joel, I wanted to shout out a new Patreon supporter before we got started here. Thank you to Catherine Smithson, who has joined us on Patreon. We appreciate all of you who joined us on Patreon. It, I right now have a new laptop. I really needed one. The old one was not good, and it would not have been good to take it back to Indonesia. And thanks to all of you who support us. I have a laptop that works much better, and it will be much better for me getting work done in the future. So thank you so much. That's only possible because people have joined us and helped us out. Also, while we're talking about things that people have done for us, I wanted to say thank you. We've gotten a ton of you responded to our revived conversation, both online, on Twitter, pretty much anywhere you could message us. We heard you saying things like, hey, that episode was really convicting or hey, that was a really good episode. We really appreciate it. I wanted to read specifically. This one came to us on a YouTube comment. Just uh, let me pull it up right here. Here it is. What a wonderful examination of a topic that, as you said, causes people to stumble. Manage your time. Take heed to the paths in which you walk. Make sure that God and His service is your primary goal and aim, even in recreation. Thank you for posting this. That came to us from at Kingdom Preparation 6943 on YouTube. So thank you for uh, leaving that succinct analysis of what that episode was and if you haven't listened to that revived conversation please go do so um but i always love the episodes where i hear from you all of you who are listening and then i also hear from personal people that i know in my life who are messaging me back like oh thanks for that one that one was a a good sting on the conscience there so that one was (laughs) fun to see this sermon will be the last new sermon we have out for the month of July. Even though Joel and I try to really never take breaks from Revive Thoughts, and if you look at the history of the last four years, we've taken very few. Uh, the Joel is going to be traveling during July. I'm going to be traveling
2: during July. Busy summer. July.
0: It's, yeah, it's a lot of traveling that we have to do, and there's just no real way around it. Uh, we're going to need to take a little break here. So not something we like to do, something uh i hate to do if you ever asked joel he would tell you i'm not like i'm okay with breaks
2: but Troy, yeah he's got that schedule he wants to stick to but i uh, do it won't be a terribly long break and our plan is uh august to be hitting the the ground running again introducing new sermons once more so
0: hopefully you will miss us and you will be ready for some fresh episodes if you're really needing revive thought revive thoughts content during that time go back i guarantee you a lot of you have not listened to some of our great older sermons uh the great thing about our content is it never. So you can go back, listen to Soren Kierkegaard, go back and listen to Hudson Taylor, go back and listen to David Livingston, uh, Mm -hmm. and so many of the other, I mean, almost uh, 200 different speakers that have been featured on our show. Go check those out and refresh yourself on some of those great ones. All right. Next week, we have an exciting episode for you. Before we go on this break, we are leaving you with a good content load here. Uh, We have talked about this London fire episode for Mm. ages, and we are finally giving you that deep dive in your feed. So make sure you download that, listen to that, tell your friends about it. It's Really great stuff. I can't wait for you all to hear it that haven't listened to it. Some of you would have listened to it if you were Patreon listeners. You could have already heard this story. Uh, But for those of you who are late, you're six or so months late to the party, but you guys got to finally enjoy it. And if you're not a Patreon listener, you haven't joined us like some of the people we've mentioned, uh, like Catherine just did, Uh, Joan of Arc and the First Crusade and the Salem Witch Trials and the entire story of Ethiopia and the London Fire, if you can't wait, are all waiting for you on Patreon. With no further ado, jumping in here, Ephraim the Syrian. This guy, we're going to need to make some disclaimers on him because he is exciting. Now, he's 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 a gospel guy. He's a Nicene Christian. We'll talk about how he defends the Nicene Christianity, the Trinity, and all that later on in this episode. But this sermon, and this guy needs a little clarification. A, this guy is 1,700 years old. That alone puts him in a category where he's just, he's older than a lot of the sermons we cover. He's in his own, there, and he's not... 1700 years old living within like Rome or uh, Cappadocia, like, it, you know, the area where the Christians we normally talk about are, he's over in Iraq, like he's over way off in his own world, much more cut off than a lot of the other people we cover are. And so he's going to sound and feel a little bit different because of that. And that's the main reason. It's just he's further away from kind of settled Christianity at this point. People sometimes have a little bit of a problem with him because of that. I mean, when most of the Christians were speaking Latin in the Roman Empire, he was speaking Syrian over off to the side in kind of a province that was sometimes Roman and sometimes Persian. And he really was in a very different world. But the main thing that people have a little bit of a problem with this sermon is that it's an apocalyptic sermon. We have not covered apocalyptic sermons. They were something that were popular and a big deal in the early church. They would preach these sermons about how the world was ending or going to end. They thought they were living through the end some of those times. And from the Syrian, really thought the world was ending all around him at different times. And this sermon is an example of that. Now, these are not the only examples of apocalyptic sermons. I would argue that some of this kind of sermoning, this kind of idea even lives on at least in spirit, in some sermons we've covered by men like Calvin, Edwards, Whitfield. But these guys took it to the full max of like the world is currently ending and this is what it looks like. I still think it's a really important sermon to listen to because it does encourage you and convict you. If I lived like the world was ending, if I lived with this belief that God is going to bring an end, how would that change how I preach and teach the people around me And knowing that this was kind of a common belief at the time, that it really was. And this is something they were genuinely very concerned about. Um, From an eschatological perspective, this sermon is liked by a lot of people. If you listen to eschatology or end time stuff, this sermon is liked by people in some camps and not liked by people in other camps. We're not really making a statement. I didn't pick this sermon to say this will show people what side of the eschatology Revive Thoughts is on. We've had people from all different eschatology backgrounds. We've had people from lots of different theological you know groups said if we brought them all into a room they wouldn't agree but we think this show is important to kind of highlight these differences and let you listen to them at the same time i still think that this sermon will convict you and you'll find it good one last disclaimer a lot of scholars say that the sermon wasn't written when it was written and it was written by one of his disciples years later Uh, okay there's no way to know we would have no way to tell that and a lot of scholars say that everything wasn't written when it's written But I thought I'd put it out there. If it wasn't written when it was written, then somebody years later from the same belief system, uh, you know, came to this conclusion. But I I always think it's kind of weird how scholars just assume that everything couldn't have been written when they say it was.
2: (laughs) Wow, that was quite the hearty introduction uh, (laughs) to today's episode. No, I think it was good. I love this era of church history in general. Ephraim was born in The year three hundred six. So again, pretty early on in church history. I love, yeah, these kind of transitional eras in church history, and this I I would definitely categorize as one of them. You know, people are figuring out what Christianity looks like moving forward. You know, it's I, I can only imagine being in the shoes of these people that. You know, time has 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 gone on from the time of Jesus. Jesus has gone; his disciples are all gone. His disciples, apprentices, are, you know, have passed away as well. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. And so, people are left with the tough job of trying to figure out what the church looks like now. You know how how do we move forward now that everyone's ties uh, to Jesus and his disciples are uh, are passed on from us? And so, we see a lot of neat ideas come out of this area a lot of the great speakers that we've covered on this uh, podcast are right in here in this area of you know uh, 200 300 400 BC here and this was also a time where the world was trying to figure out what what Christianity was, or or was discovering what Christianity was. Paganism was very popular at the time; Ju- Judaism very popular at the time. Christianity. And what was
0: crazy? Sorry, didn't yeah, but what's crazy to me is it's the same Judaism, like it's the same right. stuff. Like when right. you read Paul getting chased out by Jude- like those Judaizers, that's still present in Ephraim's life, like two hundred years mm-hmm. later. And I I haven't seen anybody who's still dealing with like that kind of stuff except for this guy.
2: And especially in this region that he was in. So he's in a, a town called Nisibis, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. I apologize, but I'm going to call it Nisibis, which would be modern day, kind of around the Iraq area. And uh, Christianity was brand new to this area. At this time, you know, rolling through, the Romans would have called this area the Mesopotamia. And it's around this time that Christianity became legal under the Roman Empire. And the bishop that Ephraim would learn under would apprentice under was was actually one of the bishops that was there and present in one of the signers of the original Council of Nicaea His name was Jacob Jacob of Nicebus and so Ephraim's teacher was one of the original Nicaea Creed signers which which is a pretty cool uh, teacher to have and early on we see him, very musically minded, writing lots of hymns. Uh, and i I think I'd go so far to say, I might get flagged for this. If someone knows an earlier, more prominent figurehead in the hymn writing, uh, I would love to hear it. But I, until I hear otherwise, I'm going to attribute Ephraim as the modern forerunner of what we think of as 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 hymns, uh, as hymn writing uh, in the in this church era that we live in. He's also accredited with finding, uh, founding a school, the School of Nisibis, which um, in centuries to come is reported to be the go-to place in the East to, uh, you know, to get your theological training there. We have hymns that we've been able to restore from uh, his hymn writing career, and it's, it's apparent that he wrote thousands of hymns. We've recovered roughly 400 of them, but they really give you a look into what life is in the 300s looked like it, especially in his area. There's a specific hymn that that depicts this scenario in which uh, is shortly after Constantine died and uh, his enemy had torn down the walls of Nisibis with his army and they prayed and rebuilt the walls. And while they were working on rebuilding them, a Persian army, that was trying to invade, uh, was was headed towards them to lay siege to their city and take it over. And bad rainwaters caused their elephants to get stuck in the mud and slowed their progress uh, down to the point where they couldn't break in. They couldn't take over the cities. Their Their efforts were thwarted by the rain. and Ephraim wrote a hymn depicting this scenario and comparing it to Noah's Ark, right? The flood waters. Uh, saving them in this instance, as if their city was Noah's Ark being saved in the waters.
0: At three different times while living there, Ephraim's city of Nesibis was almost invaded or partially invaded. One attempt to invade it was stumped in a way that no one could even explain. The army seemed to be there, and then it just wasn't. And Ephraim accredited the prayers of Jacob, the man, the deacon we had mentioned before, the man that had signed the council on Nesibis. He said, it was his prayers that stopped the army from invading Eventually, a Persian army did, though, destroy Ephraim's city of Nesibus. Many of the Christians were killed. Many were exiled and expelled from the city. Ephraim and his school eventually had to make their way to a new city of kind of biblical proportion. It's not in the Bible. But it's in that area. It is Edessa. Edessa had more Christians, but also more confusion. In Edessa, Ephraim didn't have to deal with the os- outward hostilities of pagans to the same degree. It was kind of more a part of the Roman Empire. But he now had to deal with a new group, which was the Arians. Arians denied the divinity and godhood of Jesus Christ. They had been expelled from the Roman Empire. But as we have kind of chronicled on different episodes, just because the Roman Empire said, you're out, Arians, didn't mean they all went out all at once. In fact, it took decades of just pushing them out from place to place, and they would come back. A great episode to check in on that was decades after the Arians had been kicked out. Listen to our episode on Ambrose and how he had to siege himself inside of a church to keep the Aryans from taking it over. And you can see that the Arians did not go out quietly without a fight. And when Ephraim comes to Edessa, this is the new group he now has to deal with is these Arians to, to saying, yeah, we're Christians. We're just like you. We're not like those pagan Persians. We're not like those Jews. Uh, but also, you know, you've got it wrong. Jesus wasn't actually God. And that's the new threat he has to kind of encounter.
2: In Edessa, there, Ephraim was a part of the Nicene Christians. And, and at this time, they were just called pollutions it's a nickname, it means follower of Paul, right? It's a nickname that they were given by the Arians, Pollutions, your followers of Paul's. And he was real big on preaching sermons that defended Christianity, defended Jesus's deity as God. And he was very prominent in schools and, and churches in that area. One of the things, as far as his songwriting goes, that really shaped things up was that he was, as far as we can tell, it seems to be like the first one to introduce a female choir. And, you know, we, we wouldn't think that's anything out of the ordinary today, but it was very out of the ordinary in those days to have a choir made up of women. Um, and he also was really edge cutting with the, the musical choices that he chose, you know, these were more folk-like melodies. Um, he would often take Syrian songs that existed and rewrite the lyrics to them so they had familiar melodies. Um, thing and, and this all was a wild success. They all made him very popular. Uh, but he is very clear in that his goal in... The, the music that he created was to teach theology, to glorify God. He saw music as a way to create right thinking and Christian doctrine. I think I mentioned, yeah, we have about 400 of his hymns that uh, have, have survived to this day. But it's estimated that he wrote over 3 million lines of songs.
0: Hymns, sermons, and commentaries were all written by Ephraim. He was a prominent man in the church at his time, especially in his region. And... When the plague hit Edessa, you know, plague back in those days was not an uncommon thing. You know, every few years, a plague would run into a city. Well, when a plague hit Edessa, he was at the age of 67. Ephraim stayed in the city. He worked and ministered to the victims of it. But unfortunately, he succumbed to the same uh, plague as it was going around. He was helping nursing people back to health, uh, putting himself out there on the front lines. And he himself got hit and died by what was the ca- uh, by the same cause. Of course, he wasn't ignorant. He knew, you know, staying would be a danger they know enough about the plague to know that. But as many, many Christians at that time did, they believed it was worth, you know, ministering because you never know you might be able to save somebody from the grasps of death. Now you can listen to this sermon that he has that is called, it's a little bit of a long title, but I shortened it to On the End Times.
1: can I, Ephraim the least, a sinner so full of offenses, now speak on things that are beyond my ability. But our Savior teaches wisdom even through the uneducated and allows them to enlighten the believers everywhere. Our backward tongues open the scriptures for the prophet and edification both to me, the speaker, and to all of you who listen. I will speak with care today concerning the end of the present world and concerning the most shameless and terrible dragon. It is him who is about to trouble everything under heaven. He will put timidity and contempt and fear in the hearts of men and perform wonders, signs, and terrors so as to deceive, if it were possible, even the elect. He will trick everyone with lying signs and deceiving wonders that he is allowed to do. In the allowance of the holy God, He receives authority to fool the world because the ungodliness of the world has climaxed. And everywhere, every kind of terrible deed occurs all at once. And because of this, the incorruptible God agrees to test the world with a spirit of deception due to their ungodliness. He does this since men have chosen to depart from God and love the evil one instead. There will be a great battle, brothers, in those times. Especially for the believers, when signs and wonders are fulfilled by the dragon himself with great authority, he will set himself up to be God with terrible deceptions, flying in the air, and all his demons lifted in the air before him like angels. For he will shout with great force, changing their forms and terrifying all of mankind without measure. At that time, brothers, where will we be able to find someone spiritually strong who holds their ground unshaken? One who has absolute proof in their soul, in the holy coming of the only begotten Son of God. All around him he sees that unrelenting tribulation happening everywhere, on every soul, completely without relief or rest anywhere, neither on land or sea. He sees the entire world troubled, and everyone is fleeing to the mountains to hide. He will see some dying from famine, others drooping like a candle with terrible thirst, and there is no one to show them any pity. When he sees every face crying and asking with longing, is the word of God no longer on the earth? And he hears in response, not anywhere. Who then will survive those days? Who will endure the intolerable tribulation when he sees the commotion of the peoples coming out to see the spectacle of the tyrant? And many worshiping before the tyrant, crying out in awe, You are our Savior. The sea churns, the land is dry, and the heavens do not rain. The plants are withered, and everyone who lives in the eastern lands flee to the west out of fear. And again, those who live in the western lands will flee to the eastern lands with trembling. When the shameless one assumes authority, he will send demons into every corner of the earth to boldly preach, The great king has appeared with glory. Come and see him. Who has such a diamond soul that he can nobly bear all these snares? Who, as I said previously, is such a man that all the angels should congratulate him and pronounce him blessed? For I, Ephraim, mature brothers and Christ lovers, am terrified by the mention of the dragon. What kind of man will this dragon be? Harsh and relentless in his dealings with mankind. He will be especially embittered with the saints who are not fooled by his deceptions. For many will be found at that time who are pleasing to God, able to be saved in the mountains and in the desert places, in much prayer and uncontrollable weeping. The holy God, seeing them in such inconsolable weeping and sincere faith, will have mercy upon them as a father's tender compassion, and will preserve them through that time. They will be hidden there. For the holy terrible one will not cease searching out the saints on land and sea, seeing that he is king over the remnant left on earth, and he will subject all of them to himself. For the wretch will think that he is able to withstand successfully that terrible hour when the Lord will return from heaven. That wretch does not realize his own weakness and arrogance, for he will fall. Despite this, he will stir up the entire earth. He will terrify the entire globe with lying, occultic, even magical signs. At that time, when the dragon comes, there will not be rest upon the earth, but rather great tribulation, tumult, and confusion, deadly pestilences and famines in every corner of the earth. For the Lord himself said with his divine lips, such things have not happened since the creation of the world. If this is how the Lord describes it, how much worse will it be for miserable sinners? Let everyone set his mind carefully on the holy sayings of the Lord and Savior. One of the promises is that out of extreme necessity and tribulation, he might shorten the days of the tribulation in his tender mercy, advising us and saying, Pray that your flight is not in the winter or on the Sabbath. And again, watch always, praying continually, that you may be worthy to escape the tribulation and stand before God, for the time is near. All of us stand in this evil of not being diligent, and we do not believe these words from our Lord are for us. Let us pray continuously with tears and prayers night and day, prostrating ourselves before God that we sinners might be delivered. For if anyone has tears and passion, let him pray to the Lord that we might delivered from the tribulation which is about to come upon the earth, that he might not see it at all. And let him pray that he will not see the beast himself, not even hear of its terrors, for there will be famines, earthquakes, and many pestilences upon the earth. The noble soul will be able to hold his own life together in the midst of the snares. For if a man is found a little negligent, living recklessly, he will be entrapped, and he is taken captive with the signs of the evil and deceitful dragon. And this man will be found unpardonable in the judgment. For it will be seen that he willingly believed the tyrant. We need to use many prayers and tears, O beloved, that each and every one of us might be found steadfast in our trials. For many deceptive signs by the hand of the beast are going to happen. For he is the God fighter. He wants to destroy all men. For the tyrant will work in such a way that all will bear the mark of the beast when he returns in his own time with signs to deceive the entire world in the completion of the times. And they do this so they can buy food and every form of goods, and he will establish government officials to fulfill this command. Pay attention, my brothers, to the extreme nature of the beast, the handiwork of evil, for he begins with the belly so that whenever anyone is struggling and lacking food, he is forced to take his seal not just on any part of the body, but upon the right hand and likewise upon the forehead, the ungodly mark, that he no longer has the right to be sealed in the spiritual realm with the sign of the cross in his right hand. Even more, he is completely unable to signify in his forehead the holy name of the Lord or the glorious and honorable cross of our Christ and Savior. For that wretch knows that the cross of the Lord, if a man is sealed with it, undoes all of his power. So he seals the right hand of man, for this is sealing every part of our body. Likewise, also the forehead, as a lampstand, bears the lamp of light, the sign of our Savior on high. Finally, brothers, there is a terrible struggle for all those men who are lovers of Christ that we might not show fear till the hour of our death and not stand weak like sponges when the dragon is marking with his own seal in opposition to the cross of the Savior. For he will work in this manner so that the name of the Lord and Savior will absolutely not be named at all in that time. This the weak one does fearing and trembling at the holy power of our Savior. For unless a man is sealed with his seal, he is unable to be taken prisoner by his deceptions. For the Lord is not distant from such men, but enlightens them and draws them to himself. We need to know, brothers, with complete accuracy, the heartless deceptions of the enemy. For our Lord comes to all of us in the calm, repelling the machinations of the beast for our sakes. We who sincerely bear the steadfast faith of Christ make the power of the tyrant easily rejectable. We gain a fixed and stable mind, and the weak one departs from us, not having anything He can do. I, Ephraim the least, implore you, Christ lovers, to not become spongy, but rather strong in the power of the cross. An inevitable struggle is at the doors. We must all take up the shield of faith, be prepared as the household of faith, refusing any other course. Seeing that the thief, destroyer, and cruel one will first come in his own time, wanting to steal and kill and destroy the elect flock of Christ, the true shepherd, for it takes up the character of the true shepherd. Let us be instructed, O friends, in what form the impudent serpent comes. Seeing that the Savior, wanting to save mankind, was born of a virgin and in the form of a man trampled the enemy with the holy power of his divinity, so the serpent decided to take up the form of Christ's first coming and deceive us. Our Lord in brilliant clouds as terrible lightning will come upon the earth. The enemy is not coming in this manner, for he is an apostate. So the enemy will use a man not born of a virgin, but born of a woman, and he will not be God incarnate. The terrible one will come in the likeness of a thief to deceive the whole globe. Humble, quiet, claiming to hate unrighteousness, turning back idolatry, honoring godliness, good, friend of the poor, exceptionally handsome, in good standing, and with a good reputation. He will be cheerful toward everyone, honoring the Jewish nation in great degree, for they are expecting His coming as they continue to long for a Messiah. In the context of all these traits, He will perform signs, wonders, and terrors with great power. He works deceitfully to please all, so He will be quickly loved by many. He will not receive gifts. He won't speak with anger. He will not speak discouragement. With the fashion of a well-ordered man, he will deceive the world until he is the king. When many peoples and nations see such virtues and abilities, they will all with one mind and with great joy pronounce him king, saying to each other, Such a good and righteous man has never been found. He will immediately reorganize his kingdom and slay three great kings in anger. Then he will be lifted up in his heart, and the dragon will vomit his own bitterness. He will trouble the world, and will disturb it to the ends of the earth. He will crush the whole globe, defiling their souls. No longer as a pious man, but as a harsh, severe, angry, easily provoked, terrible, unstable, fear-inducing, ugly, hateful, terrible, savage, destructive, and impudent man doing his best to cast all mankind into the pit of ungodliness. He will multiply signs to a great degree, dishonestly and not in truth. Many other nations will present themselves and praise him through the influence of the delusion. He launches his claim with a powerful voice that shakes the entire place where the crowds have gathered with him. Understand, all you peoples, my power and authority. He will move mountains before the eyes of those watching, and he will raise islands from the sea, all with deception and delusion and not in truth. Indeed, he deceives the world and deludes the entire globe. Many will believe and glorify him as a mighty God. Then every soul will mourn awfully and groan. Then all will see unrelenting tribulation, which besets them night and day, and they find no way to get food. Severe government officials will be appointed everywhere, and if anyone bears on himself the seal of the tyrant in his forehead or right hand, he can buy a little food from what can be found. Then the infants will pass away on their mother's bosoms. Likewise, a mother will die after her child. Likewise, a father with a wife and children will die in the market, and there is no one to wrap and bury him. Because of the many bodies tossed into the streets, there will be a foul smell everywhere, which overwhelms the living. In the morning, all will count the remaining family and friends with grief and groans. When evening comes, they will count again that they may obtain rest. When evening overtakes them again, they converse amongst themselves with bitter tears When it suddenly dawns on them, we must flee the remaining tribulation, and there is nowhere to flee or hide. Everything is in disarray, in the sea and on dry land. This is why the Lord said to us, watch and pray continuously that you might escape the tribulation. Stench in the sea, stench on the land, famines, earthquakes, confusion at sea. Confusion on land, terrors at sea, terrors on land, much gold and silver and silk garments, but it will profit no one at all in that tribulation. It says all men will bless the dead who were buried before the great tribulation came upon the earth. The gold and the silver will be cast into the streets, and no one will touch it since all disgusts them. All will hurry to flee and hide, and there is nowhere for them to hide from the tribulation indeed there is more with the famine and tribulation there are also terrifying beasts and biting flesh-eating reptiles are found inward terror and outward trembling both at night and in the day carcasses in the streets stench in the streets stench in the houses hunger and thirst in the streets hunger and thirst in the houses the sound of weeping in the streets the sound of weeping in the houses chaos in the streets, chaos in the houses. They will greet one another with weeping, father and child, son and father, mother and daughter. Men pass away in the arms of their friends, and men die in the arms of their brothers. The outward beauty of all flesh fades. Their appearance is like a dead person. Female beauty will be terrible and hated. All flesh will fade, as will human desires. All who had been persuaded to submit to the horrible beast and take his seal, the impious mark of defilement, will run to the beast and say with grief, Give us food to eat and drink because we are all suffering severe lack in the iron grip of this famine and drive the poisonous beasts away from us. And the wretch will answer harshly saying, From where will I give you food to eat and drink, O men? Heaven is not willing to give the earth rain. On top of that, the earth has not given a harvest or produce at all. The people, hearing these things, will mourn and cry, having absolutely no reprieve from the tribulation. But unspeakable tribulation upon tribulation will be their way because they so willingly believed the tyrant. For that wretch is not actually strong. And he is not able to save himself. How will he be able to show mercy and give to the people? In those days there will be great distress from the full-blown tribulation of the dragon, from fear, from earthquake, from the roaring of the sea, from famine, from thirst, and from bites of beasts. All who have taken the mark of the beast and worshipped him as a good God have no part in the kingdom of Christ, but with the dragon who will be cast into the fire. Blessed is he who is found fully holy and fully faithful, who has his heart unwaveringly toward God. Fearlessly, he resists all his inquisitions, despising both his tortures and his deceptions. But before these things happen, the Lord will send Elijah the Tishbite and Enoch. How merciful that these two might make known godliness to that generation of man and boldly preach the knowledge of God to all, For the sake of not believing the fearful tyrant, crying and saying, It is a deception, O men. Let none of you believe him or submit to that godfighter. Let none of you be afraid, for he will be destroyed in an instant. The Holy Lord, behold, he is coming from heaven to judge all those who were persuaded by his signs. Nevertheless, there are a few who will choose to hear and believe the preaching of the prophets, The Savior sent the prophets that he might demonstrate his inexplicable generosity, because not even in that season does he allow mankind to be without preaching so that all might be without excuse in the judgment. Then many of the saints, whoever was found then at the coming of the defilement, pour out their tears like a river groaning for the holy God to deliver them from the dragon, and they flee in great hurry to the deserts, and they hide in the hills and caves with fear. And they pour earth and ashes upon their heads, praying night and day in great humility. And this deliverance is given to them from the holy God. Grace guides them to appointed places, and hidden in the holes and caves they will be saved, not seeing the signs and terrors of the Antichrist. To those having knowledge, the arrival of this deliverance will be known. But to those having a mind for the matters of life and desiring earthly things, this will not be clear. For he that is enslaved in the matters of life, if he should hear of deliverance, he disbelieves it and blasphemes the message. Therefore the saints are strengthened because day and night they renounce the cares of life. Then the whole earth and sea mourn, and the air mourns with them, as well the wild beast with the birds of heaven, the mountains and cattle and the trees of the plain mourn. And the lights in heaven mourn on account of this generation of man because all have turned away from the holy God and believed in the deception, receiving the mark of defilement and joining the God-fighter instead of going to the life-giving cross of the Savior. The earth and the sea mourn because the sound of singing and prayer suddenly ceased from the mouth of man. All the churches of Christ mourn a great mourning because consecration and offering are no longer conducted. Now after the three and a half years of the power and practice of pollution are fulfilled, and when all the stumbling blocks over the entire earth have been fulfilled, as the Lord says, next our holy, undefiled, powerful, and glorious God will come as lightning flashing from heaven. He will come with incomparable glory, with ranks of angels running before His glory, the archangels, all being flames of fire and a river full of fire with a terrible rushing noise. Cherubim, with their eyes down, and seraphim flying and covering their faces, and feet with their fiery wings, crying out with shuddering, Rise up, you sleepers! Behold, the bridegroom is coming! The tombs will open, and all the tribes arise as in the blink of an eye, and they beheld the holy beauty of the bridegroom. And ten thousands of ten thousands, and thousands of thousands of angels and archangels, countless armies rejoice with great joy the saints and the righteous and all who did not receive the defiling and impious seal of the dragon celebrate joyously and the tyrant bound by the angels is brought with all his demons before the judgment seat and those who received his seal and all the ungodly and sinners are bound and the king will level against them the sentence of eternal judgment in the unquenchable fire all who did not take the seal of the Antichrist, and all who hid in the caves, will rejoice with the bridegroom in the eternal, heavenly bridal chamber with all of the saints for unending ages of ages. Amen.
0: There are many things about this sermon that are super different, super strange. in a lot of ways, people may hear this sermon. You may you may listen to the sermon and go, I don't like the way this sounded or stuff. We've had sermons like this before. I think one that really stands out to me was a sermon we had. I think it was by Anselm or Aquinas. I can't remember, but one of them was full of imagery. And that's the thing. Throughout different eras of church history, people preached in very different ways. And sometimes they would really lean into the allegory. Sometimes they would really lean into literal. Some sermons would be 70 pages long. Sometimes they'd be f- short and full of jokes. We've kind of talked about how sermons have come and gone. But one thing I think that is emphasized in this sermon is that Ephraim really is fearful of the Lord returning. And as scary as things will look when there's a devil and an antichrist and all those things he's talking about, that's nothing compared to what it's gonna be like when the when the Lord's wrath is falling down on sinful man. And I think if we miss other issues, if you if you kind of look past maybe parts that you don't know or don't agree with, uh you can certainly see that there is a real fear of not being right with God and how bad the last days are going to look and how many people are going to be fooled in their own lives because they choose not to walk with God. And those things, I think, regardless of the eschatology that you follow, you can certainly say those things are true. Like we know that it's going to be very hard for for those who are not Christians, who especially those who kind of reject Christ, who maybe grow up in Christian cultures but choose and walk away from God, are not followers of the Lord. They're going to have a hard time, and they're going to fall for all kinds of difficult things. And those of us who are trying to reach them, telling them the truth and speaking. Uh, the hard truth that it's going to be hard for you. This is going to be bad for you. is something that I think needs to occur. Ephraim the Syrian gives us an example of one of those end time sermons. There are many, many others throughout church history, and they have been an important part of the sermons that churches preach. And even though you may say, I don't know if I agree with that, or maybe you did, maybe you listen to that. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty much what I think too. But Even if you, regardless of where you are, ask yourself, have you been in a church where they've ever talked about, this is what we think the end times are going to look like for Christians? Because I think it's the subject that a lot of Christian churches have moved away from. You know, even if you say, oh, I don't think Ephraim was correct. Well, I hope your church is teaching what is correct on the end times or what you at least think is correct, or at least talking about it. Because I've been to a lot of churches where the fact that there is an end times, or there's going to be an end, or something happens to us after we die is not even oftentimes brought up and yet it's what people are looking for it's what people i think oftentimes need to hear
2: thank you for listening to today's episode of revived thoughts today's sermon is narrated by nick garland nick garland is a music pastor at brain bible church in Podstown, pennsylvania uh, he's produced two independent albums titled All Generations and Crooked Hill Chiasm. You can find both of them on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. He lives in a small town near the church where him and his wife, Stephanie, homeschool their four children. We, you know, another hymn writer on the show. Speaking of hymn writers.
0: <laughs> there, a perfect. Actually, a perfect fit. Uh, Nick Garland's a great guy. He's read multiple sermons for us. Um and we're really appreciative of all the help he's put in for making these episodes of Revive Thoughts. I know that this episode was one he worked especially hard on for us, and we thank you. This was not always these. Some of these sermons are not always easy to translate, and I really appreciate for Nick for putting in the work. If you would like to read a sermon for Revive Thoughts, we're coming up on a break, but we could use some new speakers, get some fresh talent in here. If you would like to read a sermon for us or you read a sermon for us in the past and you'd like to jump back in, uh, as long as you have a microphone, we should be able to make it work. Send us an email at revivethoughts at gmail.com. We'll kind of get you through the process and see if you can't be the voice of one of these great orators of the past. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.